were preparing for baptism, and they were giving me a hard time about me having to dry my hair after, uh, after the baptism. And I said, well, you know, that's really funny, really funny. Um, but, uh, but even if I had hair and I was people, if my hair got wet during a baptism, something's gone wrong, right? Like, I don't normally go under. Um, and so if I'm going under, there's bigger problems than me getting my hair dried afterwards. So um, I was sit- sitting here this morning, and, and uh, even as we were singing and just thinking, um, and I don't share this with you often enough, but um, I love being your pastor. I love being one of the pastors at Liberty Baptist Church. Um, uh, I, there's a number of reasons uh, why I love that. Um, I love Christ, and I love what he's doing in the world. I love the privilege um, to serve him with my life. I love you. I love the privilege to know you and to pray with you and to weep with you and to rejoice with you. And, uh, and so at any given, on any given week, there's almost all of those things happen, right? I mean, as a church, we're praying for our sister Elizabeth Farney right now, who's really struggling uh, physically uh, with COVID and in the hospital at Dumas. And we do need to continue to remember her. So we we grieve and, and, and pray with her, and then we rejoice when there's baptisms, um, and we rejoice as God is growing, uh, growing us and, and working in us. And so uh, it's a joy. Um, I, I, there's a lot of titles in my life that I enjoy. I enjoy being called Babe by my wife. I enjoy being called Daddy by my kids, and I love being called Pastor um, by you. And so thank you. Uh, thanks to God, first and foremost, and thanks to you all for uh, not firing me yet. Exodus chapter 17. Take your Bibles and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. Some of my favorite words to say are, please take out your Bibles and open them. Uh, So please take out your Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 17. We are preaching through the gospel of Exodus. I think I can call it that, um, even though it's an Old Testament book. The gospel of Exodus, and in a moment here, we are going to read chapter 17 verses 8 through 16. And in fact, for the, to honor the reading of God's Word, let's stand again together this morning. I know you've stand and sat and stand and sat and st- sit and stand, but let's stand. Um, we don't do it every week, but we'll stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. And let me ask you to do the really, really hard work of giving your attention to the Scripture as I read it. This Word is the living and active Word of God. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands grew grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on the one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek. And his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that it will utterly blot, excuse me, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. 
saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Father, please use your word mightily in our hearts, in our minds, and in our actions. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You can, you can have a seat. I was uh, speaking with uh, some young men recently, and we were talking about pursuing the Lord and going hard after God and growing in Christ's likeness. And, and we, were, we were talking about the deceitfulness of Satan and how Satan is, is out to seek and to kill and to destroy. Satan is using deceitful schemes to try to trick us and to try to destroy us. And Satan is waging war against us as Christians. We were, and we were talking about, we were talking very specifically about how to fight against Satan. And there, there was one young man in this conversation, he told me this, and I thought this was really interesting. I took note of it. He said that on occasion when, when he's thinking about his, his, the battle that he does with, with, uh, with Satan, the, the war that he's in, that on occasion he will like search on maybe YouTube or something, and he'll find a battle scene from a movie. And he'll watch, he'll watch a battle scene of a movie, you know, and, and you, you probably have some movie that just came to your mind where there's some just epic battle scene, right? Maybe a, a Lord of the Rings movie or something like that, just a big, and often when there's these battle scenes, you know, horses and, and swords and maces, and I mean, you get the idea, right? Uh, and, and he said that he would watch these um, to remind himself of the, of the real war that he is in. I think sometimes we think of real wars around the world and we think of those and then, and then imagine ourselves to be in a war. But the reality is that we, we, are, we are in a war. The, the Bible describes the Christian life as a life of war and warfare. You are engaged in a real war, and this young man realized that he was engaged in a real war. His impulse is to think of life, excuse me, his impulse to think of life as war is, is a right impulse. In the passage that we're going to look at this morning, we are going to see Israel's first military campaign. Now, I've never fought in a battle. That may come as a surprise to you. No, that comes as no surprise to you. Wasn't in the military, never fought in a battle. And so for some of us, a passage like this may lack some of the color that I think God would want it to have for us. The main point this morning is this. We must fight, but God gives the victory. We must fight. But God gives the victory. And I have just four points, four one-word points as we walk through this passage this morning. First, we're going to be reminded of the fact that we need to fight. Secondly, we need to pray. Thirdly, we need, to help, we need help. And fourth, we need to remember. So fight, pray, help, remember are the four points that we're going to walk through together this morning. And as we look into this passage, let's start, we, need a, we need a kind of running start. Uh, to this point in Exodus. God's people have been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, and God finally sends Moses to lead them out. You all know the story well. 
And Moses leads God's people out of the land of Egypt, and God delivers them through the Passover lamb and through the waters of the Red Sea. God miraculously and single-handedly, with no help from anyone else, God delivers the people of Israel. And now the people of Israel are, they've begun their wilderness wanderings, right? And God's already begun providing for them, testing and providing, testing and providing. They, lack, uh, they come to Mara where there's bitter water, and God provides uh, water that they can drink. Uh, God brings them to a place where they don't have food, and God provides manna for them every single day of their wilderness. Well, every six days out of the week, God provides, right? Well, he provides all seven days, but you go pick it six days. On the seventh day, you have your Sabbath. Um, God provides food for them. And then again, he brings them to Rephidim. And, uh, or excuse me, before Rephidim, and provides water out of the rock for them. So the people of Israel are making their way through the desert. God has delivered them, and he keeps providing for them. And now, in the second half of Exodus chapter 17, there's something very different that's taking place here. For the first time in Israel's exodus, they are being asked to pick up their swords and fight. We've talked a lot about the significance of being in the wilderness. And you and I, today, as we live life, we're not in the promised land yet. You and I are in the wilderness. We're experiencing, essentially, wilderness wandering. God's people were here wandering in the wilderness. And, and God brings, or, or the, the, the nation of, of Amalek comes to fight against the people of Israel. The, the Amalekites were a group of people. They were descendants of Esau. Remember the brothers Jacob and Esau? The Amalekites were nomadic descendants of, uh, of Esau, and these, they would have been uh, nomads wandering here in the land of, of, uh, of the, the Sinai Peninsula, and many believe that they were some of the first to use camels as kind of attack vehicles, the first armored at- assault vehicles, right? I mean, so imagine some kind of like whatever Bradley, fight, like this, they had camels, like this was amazing technology. Uh, in their day. And, uh, and the, the Amalekites, um, the, the Amalekites were accused of kind of playing dirty when it came to attacking people. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, it says this, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out, and they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So the Amalekites were kind of known as rascals because they would they would attack the, the back of the, of, the, of the group of people. So in theory, the healthier, stronger, more athletic people were in the front of the line, right? And in the back of the line were the sick people or the elderly people. And the Amalekites played dirty, and they would go and attack the, 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 the rear of the, uh, of the people of Israel. And, and, and the Amalekites, were, we're not exactly sure why they're attacking. Um, it may be because they were just the kind of people, they just took advantage of whomever they could. And here's a bunch of people wandering around in the desert that we normally inhabit. And so let's go and attack them. Or maybe they saw two million plus Israelites going to their water sources and drinking all of their water. And they thought, this is no good. I mean, who are these people? We've lived out here. You know, we were here first. What are these people doing? We don't know exactly, um, exactly what's going on here. But the Amalekites are attacking. This is the first time that someone else is mentioned in the, the book of Exodus, who's a very familiar character to those of us who know the Bible well. Um, in verse 9, it says, So Moses said to Joshua, and Joshua is just introduced, like, oh, there's this guy named, named Joshua. Joshua is first mentioned here in verse 9 of chapter 17. And, and Joshua, 
who would have been like an aide to Moses, is given the responsibility to go and prepare some men, and you're going to fight. Now, Joshua's name, this is important, Joshua's name means the Lord is salvation. The, uh, the, um, ultimately, the word, the name Jesus is a derivative of the name Joshua. And so, so Joshua's name is even significant. Uh, and so the Lord is salvation is asked by Moses to go out and prepare and uh, to fight against the, the, the people of Amalek. And, and so heretofore, up to this point, when God's people needed rescue, how did God provide rescue for the people of Israel to this point in the book of Exodus? You may remember back a few chapters where God says, stand back and watch the salvation of the Lord. But in this passage, God says, I want you to get some men together, and I want you to get some swords together, and I want you to sharpen your swords, and now it's time for you in your wilderness wanderings to fight. In chapter, uh, here in verse 13, um, it says, go out and, and fight. Verse 13, Joshua um, overwhelmed Amalek with, and his people with the sword. Sorry, that's not the verse that I was in. Um, so Joshua, verse 9, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. So, so God's people, for the first time in their national identity, are being asked to go and to fight. Friends, don't forget that just like the children of Israel who are, they've been saved, they've been delivered from Egypt, and now they're in their wilderness wanderings, God is asking them to fight. As we make our way through this life, we are in our wilderness wanderings, and there are times where part of our Christian life, part of our Christian responsibility is to put on a sword, or to take up a shield, to take up a sword, and to fight. And we can't forget that we are engaged in a battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to take up the armor of God. Do you ever feel like you're engaged in a battle? Do you ever feel like life is a little bit of war? You want it to be vacation. We, we want life to be a hammock on the beach in Hawaii, but sometimes it feels a little bit more like a trench dug in a, you know, in a, in a French field during World War I. Did they fight in France in World War I? Okay, I thought so. And as soon as I said that, I thought some history buff's going to get me after church. Brothers and sisters, we're engaged in a battle and we're not on vacation. The scripture says, again, in Ephesians chapter 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Commenting on this passage specifically, Charles Spurgeon, the great British Baptist preacher of a hundred years ago, said this, The children of Israel were not under the power of Amalek. They, they were free men. And so we are not under the power of sin any longer. The yoke of sin has been broken by God's grace from off our necks. And now we have to fight. Now we have to fight, not as slaves against a master, but as free men against a foe. Sorry, I lost my place. Moses never said to the children of Israel while they were in Egypt, go fight with Pharaoh. No, not at all. It is God's work to bring us out of Egypt and to make us his people. But when we are delivered from bondage, 
Although it is God's work to help us, we must be active in our cause. Now that we are alive from the dead, we must wrestle with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness if we are to overcome. God's people are wandering through the wilderness and they're fighting and God has called us to a battle, a spiritual battle as well. But not only are God's people called upon to fight, they're also called upon to look to Him, or as I'm putting it in point two, they're called upon to pray. Look in uh, verse, um, well, back up into verse nine, and let's notice what Moses is doing. Moses says, end of verse nine, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Throughout the book of Exodus, Moses' staff is referred to not as his staff, but as the staff of God. Remember, the Bible doesn't waste phrases. It doesn't waste words. There's a reason it's being referred to as the staff of God. And the next day, Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. In verse 11, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands grew weary. And we're going to see how they helped him here in just a minute. What's the significance of what Moses is doing with his hands? I'm really curious to know, don't you wish you could see what this looked like? I mean, was Moses like holding up his hands and you know, you get tired for a second and kind of shake them out? And he's like, oh, man, like they're losing. And then he's like, did I, just, did I just see what I thought I saw? Like if I was Moses, I think I would have been like this. Like, wow, that, whoa. That, yeah, I, no, I'm sure Moses didn't do that. What's the significance of what Moses is doing with his hands here? Well, it's obvious that he is doing something that represents more than what he is doing with his hands, right? There's, there's not magic in Moses' arms that when he raises his hands, Israel wins, and when he puts his hands down, Israel loses. The significance of what Moses is doing is that he is not, he's acknowledging God. And one of the things that's helpful for us when we understand the Bible, as we seek to understand the Bible, or as we do what's called biblical theology, is to think through where are other places where Moses' hands were up and things happened. Well, just in the book of Exodus, you remember back to the Red Sea. Moses raises his hand and the Red Sea parts. That's a sign that, not that Moses has the power to separate the waters of the Red Sea. Moses, in that moment, is acknowledging God, and God does something amazing for the people of Israel in that moment. And here again, Moses' hands are raised, and God is doing something miraculous for the people of Israel. This is the staff of God. He's raising the staff of God. It's, it's as if he's praying. Many scholars agree that this, the significance here is that Moses is acknowledging God in this moment. It's, uh, it's a prayer. It's a um, an acknowledgement that, God, we need you in order to fight this battle. It's standing, we, when we think of beseeching God, often we think of getting on our knees, getting on our hands and knees, maybe getting flat on our face um, before the Lord. But standing was a very common posture for prayer, right? In Exodus chapter 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. In 1 Samuel and 2 Chronicles, Hannah and Jehoshaphat both stood at the temple. They stood at the temple to pray. The psalmist says, in your name, I will lift up my hands. In, in 1 Timothy, even for us as New Testament believers, um, Paul tells Timothy, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. 
standing and lifting up one's hands. Those, these are perfectly normal postures for prayer and for worshipers of God. And when Moses' hands were up, the people of Israel would gain victory in battle. They would, they would be winning the, the battle. And then when Moses' hands would go down, the, the Amalekites would begin to win. Victory, when Moses' hands are up, indicates that the victory they're experiencing is divine. It's not based on human military achievement. It becomes immediately clear to Joshua and to the soldiers there in Egypt and to Moses and Aaron and her, we're not winning this because Joshua and the Israelites are such amazing military such an amazing military force we're we're winning because god is the one who's active god is the one who is involved god is the one who is giving us the victory and often brothers and sisters when we when we fight the battles that god has us in or when we when we feel like we're fighting the righteous and noble battles in this world we forget to acknowledge god in the battles that we fight we're tempted to think that our fighting, our wisdom, our arguments, our abilities are the things that are going to help us win. Our fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we think that we've, we've, got, we've got the answers, we've got the ability, we've got the power. Moses could literally see that when his hands got tired, he would fail. And brothers and sisters, you and I know this to be true as well. Often the times that we fail the most in our Christian life are the times when we get tired. We've been doing battle. We've been raising our hands in prayer. What's the point of raising my hands in prayer yet again? Yet, it, um, so, 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 so often we fail when we fail to pray. I don't know about you, but anytime I've ever heard someone talk about prayer, I almost immediately began to be convicted. I almost immediately began to think, oh man, I hope he doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about prayer because I am, I just, I don't pray much. I don't pray. I, I kind of, I know good truths about God's word and I'm, you know, I, I'm a pretty respectable person and so I can probably navigate most of life for the most part in my own ability and my own strength. There are battles that you and I are fighting, will fight, and need to fight. Battles within, battles without, battles in this world. We are engaged in a warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we are foolish to think that we have the capacity in, our, in and of our own strength and our own ability to win the battles that God has called us to fight. We often stop looking to God when we need most to look to God. Imagine if you spent the time praying that you spent the time worrying or complaining or griping or posting something on Facebook about how bad the world is or reading posts on Facebook about how bad the world is or complaining about people who post on Facebook about how bad the world is. What if you spent one-tenth of the time what if you spent one one-hundredth of the time you spend on Facebook praying? What if you spent 
a portion of that time that you spend waxing eloquent about all the problems in the world and about how bad Joe Biden is and about how bad the liberals are? What if you spent just a portion of that time going to the king of the universe? Some of you would spend hours. The problem isn't that Christians have given up. It's that we haven't begun to fight. We haven't begun to fight with God's ways and God's methods. And we gripe and we worry and complain. And we post and we read. And we ignore God. Our hands haven't gotten tired. They haven't gone up yet. Brothers and sisters, may God revive our hearts and our minds. May we be people with calluses on our knees and hands and arms that are strong because they've been spending time outstretched to the Lord. The problem isn't that we've given up. It's that we haven't begun to fight. All we've done is complained and posted, and that is not, those are not God's ways for fighting the battles that he has given us to win. God, forgive us for our prayerlessness. Of course, we're going to lose battles that we haven't begun to fight. Brothers and sisters, pray. Raise your hands in prayer to God. Acknowledge that the battles that you have been given to fight cannot be won without Him. They can only be won by Him. And it is still your responsibility to take your sword and to go into the battle. Right? Joshua and these men had to take their swords and go into the battle. But it was, it was God, as Moses acknowledged Him through prayer, that was giving them the victory. The third thing that we see in this passage is that we all need help. It's interesting. Joshua couldn't be credited with the victory because when Moses' hands went down, the Amalekites would begin to win. Can you imagine Joshua? Maybe at the very beginning, as Moses' hands are, are up in the air, Joshua begins to think, man, I'm, this is the first military campaign I've ever been involved in, and this is going really well, like we're winning. And then, and then all of a sudden, Joshua begins to, I, I don't know how this plays out, but Joshua begins to realize, whoa, whoa, whoa we're, we're, we're losing ground here. And he looks up, because presumably there's a way for this battle to be seen by Moses and for those involved in the battle to be, uh, to be able to see Moses. And, and Joshua realizes there's something, there's something connected here. When Moses' hands are up, we do well. When Moses' hands are down, we do poorly. So maybe it's not my military strength that's, allowing, that, that's gaining us this victory. So Joshua couldn't be credited with victory. But, but Moses couldn't be credited with strength and victory either because he couldn't keep his hands up. Right? Imagine someone saying, just keep your hands up this entire service. Now, some of you might be physically strong enough to, to do that, but very few of you would be able to do that, right? If I asked you, put your hands just like this and keep them like this for the entirety of the morning. You want to try it, Fabian? Give it a shot. Come on. We'll see how long you can go. If anybody wants to do it, you, you're welcome to do it right now. If you can make it, let's see, it's 1130. If you can make it till noon, I'm not going to give you anything, but I'll just be impressed. Moses couldn't take credit either because he couldn't keep his hands up. We all, we get tired and we need help just like Moses. Lone Ranger Christianity is terrible. And as Moses got tired, God graciously had sent with him two men, his brother Aaron and a man named Hur. H-U-R, not H-E-R. It would be weird if you were a man named H-E-R, Hur. 
That'd be you'd get made fun of on the playground a lot growing up. Aaron and her, and they 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 they're standing there with Moses watching the battle, and they watch Moses' hands get tired, and as his hands go down, the Malachites begin to win, and so. Aaron and her realize, well, let's let's help him out. And so the Bible describes that they slide a stone under him, right? They put a stone under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. Now, I, again, I wish there were photos. I wish the Bible had you know pho- photographs and videos uh, alongside it uh, so that we could see exactly what this looks like. I don't know. Moses is probably sitting on a low rock. His hands are up, holding the staff of God, and I don't know. I mean, our, you know, he's got, you know, Aaron's got one elbow here. Hers got one elbow right here, you know, and Moses' hands are up again. And all three of them are like, this is weird, but it's working, right? Let's just keep, keep doing it. This is going to work. They were aware that it wasn't Moses giving them the victory either. They were aware that it was God. Friends, when you help others, help them the way Aaron and her helped Moses. They helped Moses by helping Moses acknowledge God. And I think sometimes, even as Christians, when we help others, when we help our friends, when we help, we, we kind of give them just general, blah, bland advice that anyone in the world would give. But brothers and sisters, as as Christians, we have the opportunity when we help other people to help them acknowledge God. The kind of counsel, the kind of help, the kind of strengthening that you should bring into someone else's life is the help and strengthening to help them acknowledge God, to help them keep their hands up. Why keep their hands up? So that they acknowledge God. When you help others, help them look to God. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 Verse 9 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. And so many Christians want to live the Christian life alone. You think you're the only one who struggles the way you struggle. You think you're the only one who has issues, the, the kinds of issues that you have. You're embarrassed. You're proud. You're what, whatever the thing is. And you just don't want anyone. You'll hold people at arm's length, and you're fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's always fine. And everything's not fine. Not, no one is ever fine always all the time. In fact, rarely is anyone actually fine. Like, that's not the world that we live in. We live in a world, we live in the wilderness. We live in a world where friends are in the hospital, where bank accounts don't add up to enough money in the bank, where truckloads of watermelon get denied on Sunday mornings, right? Do I hear amen? Right? I mean, so, like, we live in a world where there's, there's hardship, there's problems, there's no, where I'm not fine. I'm going to tell you I'm fine so that you leave me alone. But it's, well, I'm not fine. And we want to live the Christian life the same way, right? Especially, man, we're Texans. Do I get to call myself a Texan? I've lived here eight, a little over eight years. I, I like Texas. I'd like to be known as a Texan. Okay. I'm a Texan. Us Texans, we, we don't need no help from nobody. I am listening. How many of you have read the book, The Worst Hard Time, about the Dust Bowl in the 1930s here? Okay, many of you have. If you haven't, don't read it. Um, it's terrifying. Um, it's a true account of history of the 1930s uh, here. Seriously, if you, if you haven't read it, you do need to read this book. Um, but it talks about like the, the, the people who settled here and then plowed up everything and then the wind blew and blew the topsoil into like New York Harbor. Um, 
that uh, this, this group of rough, tough people, like they just stayed. There was the last man club, like the, the, a bunch of men signed a document saying, we will not leave. We will die before we leave this area. And many of them, that's how they left the area. They died um, right here. They, but and it was it took when the government began to offer help and assistance. Many of them didn't want it. Didn't want they. We don't need no help from nobody. We got this. And brothers and sisters, many of us carry that into our Christian walk, into our Christian life. We just carry it into our life, and we we think that we are good all alone. But God actually makes it very clear. Woe to him who is alone. Do you live life by yourself in a nice little safe, isolated bubble that is neither that that's not actually safe? God says, woe to you. Don't, don't live life that way. If, if two are better than one, find friends that will point you to Christ when you don't have the strength to go to him. Moses no longer had the strength to go to acknowledge God, but he had friends who had the strength to help him go to God. Brothers and sisters, you are rich if you have friends who will help you when you are weak, when it, who will help you go to God. You want friends that will help you go to God. You are weak. You are not strong. You're not strong. You can beat me in arm wrestling. Your grandmother can beat me in arm wrestling. You are not strong. Be a friend you be a, not only do you surround yourself with friends who will point you to Christ, but be a friend who moves others toward Christ. Remember, I said that Joshua couldn't be credited with, credited with the victory because when Moses' hands went down, the Amalekites began to gain victory, and neither could Moses take credit because he couldn't keep his hands up. Neither could Aaron and Hur because it wasn't their hands that were up winning the victory. It, it is abundantly obvious in this story who's winning the victory. Everybody can look around. Joshua can say, well, it's not me. It must be something Moses is doing. And Moses is like, I can't even keep my hands up. It's not me. And Aaron and her are like, well, it's not even our hands. Like, it's obvious who's winning the victory. God has called them, take up swords and go and fight. And the only way you will win is as I give you the victory. That's called trust and obey. Trusting and obeying. Okay, Lord, you've called me to go into this fight. I'm going to obey and go into the fight, but I'm going to trust you. We see it over and over and over in the book of Exodus where God calls his people to trust and obey. Which brings us to point number four. We're almost done. Number four. Number four, God's people were called to remember what had happened, and we too are called to remember what, is ha what, what happens. Verse 14. Well, looking back at verse 13. By the way, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Again, we, we read these black marks on white paper and, and everything is, is kind of neat and clean and we're in a climate-controlled building here at church and we're thinking about lunch. But there's a bunch of dead people laying around. There are bloody swords. There are men who've never taken the life of someone else who now are forever changed by the fact that they've taken a sword and killed an Amalekite. They're going home to their wives. Some aren't going home to their wives and their families. A battle has been fought, and a battle has been won. Verse 14, And the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it 
in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne, or, or some, some translations have, A hand upon the banner of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. God wants his people to remember what he has done for them this day. Why? Because this ain't the last time they're going to see the Amalekites. It's not the last time we're going to see the Amalekites. This is, this is the first time they see the Amalekites. You know what else is going to happen in the book of Exodus? And we're going to have it recounted for us in Deuteronomy. They're going to see the Amalekites again. They're going to fight more battles. When they go into the promised land, they're going to fight battles on the way in, into to, uh, capturing the promised land. This is just the first of many battles that they're going to fight. And what's important for them as they go into future battles is to remember the battles of the past. And for many of you who have walked with the Lord for any length of time, you can, you, if we took testimony time right now, you would be able to share the battles that you've been involved in, physical battles, spiritual battles, emotional battles, psychological battles, financial battles, health battles, relational battles, all sorts of different things that you have, uh, uh, hardships that you faced, struggles that you've walked through, battles that you've encountered. And you would be able to remember how God rescued you in that moment. In fact, some of you actually have it written down, right? Some of you keep a journal or you keep a notebook where you've literally done exactly what God is asking Moses to do here, and you've done it for the exact same reason, so that you would remember. It's obvious that God is asking Moses to write these things down so that they would remember, because we so often forget. So build, brothers and sisters, build into your life into your life, ways to remember. God tells Moses, write this down, read it to Joshua, remember these things. Well, you know what? We have that and a whole lot more written down for us. We already have it written down. The reason we're, reading, the reason we're talking about it this morning is because it has been written down. And not only do we have memories of how God worked in his people throughout history, but we also have um, our own personal experience. So read your Bible. R read what God has already written down. Write down the things that you are learning about God, victories that God has won for you. Keep a journal. Keep a notebook of some sort and write these things down to remember them. Put them where you won't forget. Not only does Moses write these things down, but he builds, he builds an altar. He builds into... Uh, the life of Israel, ways for them to, to remember. And just like Moses and the people thank God, we must thank God not only for the victory of salvation, but the smaller victories as well. This, this wasn't the deliverance from Egypt. This was a smaller victory. It was a victory, but it wasn't delivery from Egypt. It wasn't the conquering of Pharaoh. This was the Amalekites. They weren't as significant as Pharaoh and Egypt. And yet they're called to remember and to rejoice Israel's battles weren't over, and yours aren't over either. Like I keep reminding us, we're still in the wilderness, and we desperately, we desperately want shalom. We want the peace. We want vacation. And we're going to continue to want that peace here and now. But brothers and sisters, know this. And I, I, I don't know that 
I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news this morning. Sometimes when someone just acknowledges something, it's actually helpful. Let me just acknowledge something with you right now. You're probably not done going through hard things in your life. If you die before lunch, you might, you might be done with hard things in your life. And I hope no one dies before lunch. I will feel really weird if that happens. You're probably going to live many more years. And if you're like me, I want to do everything in my power to protect myself from ever having relational conflict with anyone ever again. I'm just naming for you the thing that gives me the most grief, the thing that gives me the most upset stomach, the most sleepless night, the most fear, is relational conflict. I hate button heads with somebody. That, and, and I think I would just love, God, I would just love to have peace with everyone for the rest of my life. Whatever the thing is might be for you. You might think, I, like, health problems for me just really unsettle me. Or financial problems really unsettle me. Or you might be like, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. That's not the thing that bothers me. The thing that bothers me is whatever. Whatever it is for you, let's just acknowledge together that we're still in the wilderness and Amalekites are probably going to get us again. They're going to come after us again. You're probably not done with wars in this life. I wish we were, but we're not. I wish health and wealth and prosperity were a permanent part of this life and this experience right now. And I understand why so many Christians are drawn to the lie that if you will just be right with God, you will have health and wealth and prosperity for the rest of your life here on earth. But that promise is never given to us about this life here on earth. Health, wealth, and prosperity is promised to you in the promised land. And you're not there yet. And it will break into your life in moments and in ways here and now, thank God. But that is ultimately for the promised land. God is acknowledged, Moses acknowledged, acknowledges God here in verse 15 as the Lord is my banner, the Hebrew word. It's a name for God, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. One commentary says this, a banner is a military standard, a piece of cloth bearing an army insignia, and it's raised up on a pole, and soldiers always look to their banner. It establishes, listen to this, this is important, it establishes their identity. Oh, you have it up there. It helps them know who they are. When the soldiers would look to a banner, it helped them remember who they were. On the battlefield, it also helps them keep their bearings and give them courage and hope. As long as their banner is still flying, they know that the battle is not lost. Brothers and sisters, the, battle of, the banner of King Jesus still flies. In commenting on this passage, Pastor Philip Graham Ryken says this, Everyone has a banner, something they look to for identity and security. What is the banner, what is the thing that you look to for your identity and for your security? Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10 says this, The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. Who is the root of Jesse? What, what is that? Is that a root? In it? What, who is the root of Jesse? Without unpacking it all, who's the root of Jesse? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the root of Jesse. Jesus Christ will stand as a banner 
for the peoples. Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ is our banner. So, so picture a cross on a pole, right? There's a pole with a, a fabric banner with the cross of Jesus Christ hanging on. So just have that mental picture in your mind with me for a second here, right? Now remember, with that in view, a banner is a piece of cloth. Soldiers always look to their banner. It establishes their identity. It helps them know who they are. On the battlefield, it also helps them keep their bearings and gives them courage and hope. And as long as their banner is still flying, they know that the battle is not lost. Jesus Christ is our banner. He is where we find identity. His flag is our flag. When we gather as a church, we gather under His flag, under His banner. The second part of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10 says this, the nations will rally to him. So Jesus Christ will stand as the banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. When we gather as God's people, we gather under the banner of King Jesus. So brothers and sisters, like the people of Israel were called upon to do, look to the banner of God. Verse 16, saying, a hand upon the banner of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. While we're in the wilderness, Amalek will continue to fight with the Lord. Amalek will continue. We, we continue to, the Lord continues to do battle with Amalek, the, the, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We look to the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him both for salvation, if you've never turned from him, from him and trusted in Jesus Christ to be your righteousness, to be your Lord, to be your Savior. Turn from your sin and trust in him. For many who have trusted in him as your Savior, look to him to be your identity. Let Jesus Christ be the banner to whom you look to know who you are and how to fight the battles of this life. There's an old song that I remember. I learned in vacation Bible school a long, like when I was, I just, I just have the vaguest memory of this song when I was in va- vacation Bible school as a child. I mean, I had to been like five or six. Onward Christian Soldiers, right? You know the song, Onward Christian Soldiers? Onward Christian, not shoulders, soldiers. There. Here we go. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe forward into battle. See the banners go. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going before. Brothers and sisters, the Amalekites will continue to wage war against us as God's people. Let's look to the banner of King Jesus. Let's remember that we must fight, but God gives the victory. And together we will declare that the Lord is my banner. I ask you to bow your heads. We're going to pray. If you're here this morning and you 